1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, Heartbreakers. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I wanted to give you a heads up that there's some sensitive content in this episode. So if you want to check the content warnings before you listen, you can check that out in the episode description. Also, while you're here, be sure to follow the Breakup Breakdown on Instagram at Breakup Breakdown Podcast. Welcome back to another Breakdown bonus episode. I'm here with ex-Mormon therapist Jenny Morrow. And you also host a, a podcast called Transformation in Manifestation. So what I found so interesting about you and why I felt like you were so perfect for this episode is you kind of ended up in a similar position to where our interviewee from this episode ended up, started out Mormon and ended up on like the other end of the spectrum of like manifestation and transformation. So, talk to me about like your experience in the Mormon church and how that led you to what you do today. So, I grew up Mormon.
0: I was born Mormon. I lived kind of in Mormon headquarters in Salt Lake City growing up. And I actually, I really loved the Mormon church growing up. Like, it was my neighborhood every Sunday. I saw all the people, all the young people from my neighborhood, all the old people and everything in between. Being Mormon was a very cool experience. And where it kind of broke down for me was more around issues of sexuality. So this is a really interesting episode for me to listen to because it kind of talked about sexuality, specifically around orientation of gender desires within sexuality. So it was interesting. I started working with clients and I had a lot of clients who were gay. And I remember one weekend I had, and he was a gay client, he said, I had a gun in my mouth this last weekend. And I was just like, that's not okay. And and I thought there is no reason you should want to die, like none. And I remember thinking, but I could understand why you might feel like there's no other way. This is not okay. I remember I turned to him and I said, maybe, maybe it's worth exploring whether you want to still believe in these Mormon beliefs. Because I said, there's, I just can't see any reason why you should want to die. I was still very believing myself. And so at that moment, I thought, well, Jenny, would you be willing to do what you've asked your clients to do? Would you be willing to question your religious beliefs? Where have my religious beliefs not only been helpful to me, because that's how I looked at them throughout my whole life, but is there anywhere that my religious beliefs have actually been harmful to me? Yeah. And so it was really interesting listening to this woman's experience And um, I found out also, you know, quite a bit later that the man who I had really been interested in through all of my college experience, he'd been my best friend. He was the one I wanted to be with, but he never really made any moves on me. And I actually found out later that he was gay as well. And so it was, yeah, just a lot of
1: things came up for me as I was listening to this episode. Wow, I cannot believe we found someone who can relate to it. So I, I can imagine there's maybe somebody else out here that's lived this experience as well. Okay, well, let's kind of break down this episode. And, and kind of touch on maybe some of the different aspects of, of the relational issues that we we heard about. We'll start from the beginning. In the Mormon church, she mentioned in this episode that dating really isn't supposed to happen until you're around 16 or 17. And I'm curious, like what other boundaries or rules or even unspoken rules are young Mormons talked to about when it comes to dating and, you know, starting to find their person that they'll probably marry at 18 or 22 when they graduate BYU? Yeah, I
0: mean, I think the biggest thing that young people are taught in terms of dating is just to make sure that you stay really clean. And they use the word chastity. I don't know if that's like a word in normal. I think she said
1: the law of chastity, like don't break the law of chastity, which
0: basically means nothing other than kissing, at least back in the 80s and 90s. I don't know how it is now. But I remember even being taught like don't French kiss nothing that stirs like those feelings of desire and passion in like a sexual way. Though if you did French kiss, it wasn't like something you had to go confess to the bishop, but really anything beyond kissing. So any touching, whether clothes were on or clothes were off, whether it was for females if someone touched them up on their boobs, their breasts, or down below on their genitals. like That was considered something you'd have to confess. You know, necking, though I don't think you had to necessarily confess that. I did confess that to a bishop at 16. I said, I've let my boyfriend kiss me on my neck, and I've kissed him on his neck. So, you know, there was just weird, weird stuff like
1: that. How awkward is that to have to confess to this stranger the stuff you're doing behind closed doors? It, yeah, I think there's been like this resurgence of people fighting against purity culture and kind of calling out how restrictive it can be. And it seems like people in these cultures tend to get married really young. Is that mainly just because they're like trying to get to the altar so they can have sex as soon as possible? Or is there like a push to like get families started super young? Why is there such like a young Mormon marriage culture? I would guess that the number one reason
0: is because of the sex- sexuality stuff. Because there are so many people that would feel so guilty doing anything beyond kissing that when those desires start to come up, they think, well, then I should marry this person. I mean, Mormons do encourage... Families, but they don't necessarily encourage large families. In Mormonism, you believe that one day you'll create your own planet. If you go to the highest level of heaven, you'll create your own planet. You'll continue having children. So that will be like a continual experience. And like whatever children you'll have here are also a blessing to you. It's not necessarily spoken of or suggested that you have big families. They don't say that directly. Um, but they do say to, mo- I guess, one of the, the things you covenant to in the temple is to multiply and replenish the earth. So there is that, but you don't really know that until you go to the temple. And a lot of women don't know that until they get Engaged because that's when they go through the temple for the first time. When you say
1: go through the temple, what does that mean?
0: Mormons also have what are called temples and temples are only for adults and you have to be wor- put worthy. Like you have to pass an interview with your bishop to get into the temple. So the temple is where they do rituals and rituals are specifically for like things you have to do to get to the highest level of heaven. Temples can be a really hard place because let's say a Mormon leaves and they have children that are still Mormon. If those children decide to get married in the temple, which a lot do, then they a parent can't attend the wedding ceremony. So
1: you keep using this word worthy. What Mm -hmm. makes somebody worthy to come into the Mormon church?
0: Anyone can go into the Mormon church. Again, visitors are welcome. But as far as going into the temple and being able to do temple work, you have to answer a series of questions. It's everything from like, do you believe in God, uh, Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost? Do you um, follow the word of wisdom, which includes like no coffee and no tea, um, no alcohol, no substances? Do you um, keep the law of chastity? So this is a big one where, so for Mormons, if they don't keep the law of chastity, and this can even include masturbation, then you can be kept out of the temple, which again can mean you don't get your temple recommend. So you can't
1: go to wedding ceilings. You can't watch ceremonies of your friends or family members. I'm in like a non-denominational church. And just to me, like the biggest part of my faith is that is that like we preach a lot about grace. And to me, this is almost like the antithesis of that. It's like, there's no room for error. I can imagine people walking into your office are coming in with so much shame. Like how do you walk through those things? kinds of issues with them.
0: Yeah, let's see. I mean, at this point, I get so many clients who are leaving Mormonism. So yeah, they're working through shame that's like been kind of with them for a long time. But I do think that there is kind of a core unworthiness that we all can carry, whether we're religious or not. So I actually I ended up marrying a man who has never been to church. He carries shame. It's interesting, because sometimes he and I will talk about shame and kind of what our experience of core unworthiness is. And we experience it around different contexts and different areas. And so it's really, interesting. One thing I like to remind Mormons, whether they're still in Mormonism or whether they're leaving or have left is like every human deals with shame. But yes, these are particular experiences where if shame has been like reflected back to you or conditioned into around a certain context, then we can sit with that. One of the first things I like to do with people is just make a lot of space for your shame and give it lots of love, give it lots of hugs, let it know it's okay. It's okay to feel shame. That's a human experience. And then you can start to explore like, what's the truth about
1: these experiences? Well, kind of keeping on the same path of like sexuality within the church and moving on with this story. The big pain point here in this episode was her now ex-husband revealing, to her before the wedding that he's experiencing what the Mormon church is calling same-sex attraction, saying he thinks that he might be gay. Let's talk about how the Mormon church deals with that. Talk Mm -hmm. to me about like the experiences that you've seen happen in the Mormon church and and how people have dealt with that. Again, I'm
0: thinking about the man that I was real close to through my college years. And I remember thinking at one point, I wonder if he's gay. And I thought, well, if he is, I think we could make it work. You know, I remember thinking that. And obviously when I finally found out he actually was gay and then years later, you know, I, I felt so grateful that it, you know, that we didn't try to make something work that maybe wouldn't have actually felt good to both of us. I remember feeling like, I wish people could be open about this. I think, to be honest, I think one of the most detrimental parts of the experience of being gay and Mormon is, is people staying in the closet. I think that's one of, one of the first parts that's so detrimental. And then I think beyond that is, yeah, believing they have to be with a woman to receive the highest level of heaven. I mean, Mormons in general believe that. Even if, if you die single and you never get married in the next life, then you won't go to the highest level of the social kingdom. You'll go to the highest realm, but you won't be at the highest, highest level. You have to be married to someone of the opposite gender to be to the very, very
1: highest level. Every time I hear level, I think of like a video game. and It's sort of like leveling up just because you commit your life to somebody else. You did talk about having a patient that left the church or is working through being gay now in the secular world. What are some of the issues that come up after they leave the church or maybe people that are thinking about leaving the church and are gay? So like I actually
0: have a neighbor here where where we're living and he married a woman. He also is gay. He married a woman. They were both Mormon. They had kids. Then they ended up divorcing a few years ago and he married a man. More and more I'm seeing this happen. What I do see is that people who decide to transition in general, it can be a very intensive experience, especially if they've made decisions that are so big that have such big high stakes that they wouldn't have made if they didn't have some of the Mormon beliefs. You know, for people who are gay, who maybe wouldn't have married someone of the opposite gender if they didn't believe that they needed to or should, it can be really, really painful. So I see a lot of suicidation through the process and a lot of um, hopelessness because they feel like they're breaking up families. This neighbor who lives near us, he said a lot of people encouraged him to stay married, but then also just go have partners, like sexual partners that were men, but stay married to keep the family together. So that's a big message that a lot of gay Mormon men get. You know, for him, he's just said, I didn't want to live a double life. That didn't feel good. I think for people to not be able to be on the outside who they are on the inside is so I think it kind of is a bit soul tearing and crushing. And over time, it just can kind of wear people down. So I see a lot of people going to kind of chronic mental health struggles. And again, I think this sort of human thing that when we can question the beliefs that aren't serving us, then we just start to feel a lot more free in general. Something else I wanted to ask about, can you talk to me a little bit about how divorce is viewed in the morning? Mormon church? I would say divorce, in some ways, I would say it's similar to how it's viewed in general. In that, like, I don't hear Mormons say it's bad or wrong to divorce. Mormons believe if you want to be in the very highest level of the highest realm of the heaven, you've got to be married. So divorcing can kind of put that possibility on the edge. Um, And also Mormons do still kind of believe in polygamy in the next life. The fundamentalists believe in it here. The mainstream Mormonism doesn't practice polygamy here, but they do believe it will happen in the next life. So divorce can kind of come with like a lot of weirdness in that way. So I had a friend whose husband died. And when she decided to remarry, she was sealed to her first husband, which meant she'd be with him in the afterlife. And women can't be sealed to two men, though men can be sealed to multiple women. It's just kind of complex. It brings up a lot of fear for people and how it impacts people here in this life. They start to think about the next life as well. To be honest, like I've worked a lot with mixed faith couples in the last 10 years. That's been more of what I've been working on is people leaving and then mixed faith marriages. And actually even bishops will sometimes tell people who are still Mormon, if your spouse is leaving, maybe it's Maybe it's worth divorcing, but the thing that they see more important than anything else is staying loyal to the church, loyal to your temple covenants. And if you leave the church, then your temple covenants are revoked. So in a way, even if you're still married here civilly, if you if one person leaves the church and removes their name off of the church records, they're no longer sealed in heaven. So you're no longer considered married after this life. So you could so still go to heaven, just a different level? I don't think Mormons would see it possible now for me to get to the celestial kingdom or the highest realm. So if I, ha- if I still had a, a partner, if I'd been married while I was Mormon and we'd been sealed, He'd now be available in the next life. To marry other people, because um, I wouldn't be able to get there with him probably, unless in the next life
1: I came back and was able to repent. I'm really interested in the mixed faith couples. Like, what kind of problems do you see arising between somebody who wants to stay in the Mormon Church and somebody who is ready to leave? What kind of problems are they facing?
0: Yeah, this one's so so huge. I would say like some of the biggest problems are like just the security of the marriage itself often becomes tenuous. So people are like, do I want to stay in this marriage if my partner's not on the same page with me? So I see a lot of that. I th- I would say like a lot of grieving. grieving. So even if people decide they're going to stay together, they can feel very separate for a period of time and especially if the one who's leaving has learned a lot of information about like church history and maybe things about the church that they hadn't been taught growing up. Suddenly they feel like they're holding all this information that the other person either doesn't want to hear about or even if they do hear, they choose to kind of stay loyal to the church and that can feel
1: devi- divisive at times. Well, I could imagine that takes a lot of love to stay in a marriage if you think like after this life, well, I'm going to be in this level of heaven and we'll be separated forever. I could imagine that would be pretty emotionally taxing. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about because you brought up something about polygamy and I didn't even think we we're going to get into polygamy today. So you mentioned that women can't be sealed to multiple men, but men can be sealed to multiple women. There right. was something that our interviewee in this episode mentioned how she felt her biggest pain point with the church was that she felt really suppressed and felt that almost like the Mormon church was a little sexist. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think some of the practices are a little like male oriented? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say Mormonism is a
0: patriarchal system. It's led by men, um, only male leaders. Men are the only ones that can have the priesthood. And the priesthood is what people need to actually facilitate the rituals. Kind of the way they describe it in Mormonism is both men and women equally enjoy the blessings of the priesthood as like recipients and being able to participate in rituals. But only men get to have the priesthood and actually do the leading and facilitating of those rituals, as well as presiding over all the meetings. So I went through the temple when I was 26 for the first time, one of the things I covenanted to kind of raised my hand and said yes to was that one day I would follow the lead of my husband, basically men covenant to obey and follow God and Christ and then women covenant to obey and follow their husband. When people
1: have decided to leave the church, when they've decided to step out of the Mormon church or the LDS church, what are some of the biggest problems that they're grappling with now that they've decided to leave?
0: I would say probably the biggest is isolation from their families and communities and how impacted their relationships would be number one. When I left, that was the biggest pain point for me was just that all my family members were still in all of my close friends were still in I actually really didn't know anyone who had left. And so it felt kind of terrifying in terms of my ability to have community. And so that was probably the hardest part. And that's the hardest part, I'd say when I watch people's experiences is just that they feel like, well, I've left, but I don't feel like I can really be me. I don't feel like I can really speak my truth, because I'm still in Mormonism in terms of my friends and family are still Mormon, I would say the second hardest part is like learning how to create your own moral compass, like learning how to trust yourself. I remember when I first left, I I had a coach I was working with at the time through my process. And I remember saying to her once, I've been having panic attacks growing up that even if I left Mormonism, I would never drink alcohol because I'm very interested in health. But then when I left and I did try alcohol, then I got scared, like, well, who's to say I wouldn't kill someone. So I started kind of having these like panic attacks. And she said, well, do you want to kill someone? My coach said, do you want to kill someone? I said, well, no. And she said, well, there you go. She said, you need to start to learn to trust that like you have a compass inside of you. You can trust. I think that was a hard part for me was starting to trust that that compass was already there. It always had been. And it's part of what got me out of Mormonism. You know, I think when I started learning things and seeing how it was impacting others and myself, it's like, it was that moral compass that led me to say, this is no longer the right place for me to be. Yeah. That was a hard part as well. And I see that. I see a lot of clients struggle with that. They'll say things like, I don't even know who I am. So a lot of times it's helping them understand that they've actually, always been with themselves, just they have to start to see how that's actually played out in ways they haven't seen it.
1: So what would you say like would be just advice for anybody who's decided to find themselves, whether it's after leaving the Mormon church, or maybe after making a big decision to come out, like what were some things that were helpful to you when you were redefining what life meant for you?
0: I think it really was helpful at the time to have a good coach, getting support, see if you can find some good supports, people who they themselves are living healthy, fulfilling abundant lives with out needing the thing that you thought you had to have to have those things. I think, yeah, getting some mentorship or something like that is really huge. And then support groups can be really helpful. For me, I, I started kind of joining in and listening to podcasts and things that helped me just get educated on issues in Mormonism. And that was really helpful. But I think it wasn't like I did. I started running the Ask an the Ex-Mormon Therapist podcast. It has maybe, I don't remember, 20 to 50 episodes. And so it was really helpful. People would write in questions about leaving. And then I would answer their questions and it just gave me a chance to kind of reflect on the struggles of leaving and then like how I navigated them or what would be healthy ways to navigate those struggles? And I think that was really helpful. So I think finding ways to serve in the community in some ways, you're kind of in the transition. So being a part of support groups and helping support others, and then also starting to envision a world where um, you can continue to serve those communities, but you don't stay in them forever. And if you have a partner, a spouse, um, then doing some of that work together, you know? So I think of manifestation work is like, it's something that we do individually, but it's also something you can do together as a couple. Like, what do we together want to create and manifest in our life? What kinds of experiences? Experiences matter to us, what kind of life matters and what values do we want to um, work with? So, you know, being able to use these transformations or these changes to then facilitate more creation and more manifestation, more of uh, the energy you need to like live out the life you really want to live.
1: If people get off this podcast, where should they find you?
0: Oh, yeah. So the best place to go would be my website, which is Morrow. Dot com, and that's J E N N Y M O R R O W. That'll list all of the coaching offerings I have, as well as um, any courses or books I have. And then also, it'll list the podcast. You can click on a link to see the podcast, and I host free training. So you can click on that link. So there's lots of info there. But yeah, jennymorrow.com is where you'll find me.